Welcome back to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan. Each episode, I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. I'm excited to share this story with you, so let's dive in. So imagine you're just running along the road one day like you've always done, and then something happens that dramatically changes your life and maybe even erases a small portion of your life and alters your path in life forever. This is Kristen's story of life after a traumatic brain injury. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you, Coach John. I'm very honored that you're having me. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to talk about your story and uh, the book that you've also written as a part of your story called Sunrise uh, and yes. really explain life life after that. And so we're going to dive into some of the challenging details of what it actually looks like to to go through this. So I'm, I'm also honored to be able to share your story. And so, yeah. Before we before we dive in, um, what what are you up to currently? Currently, just it's summertime, enjoying the summer with the family, and we're doing travels this weekend. Actually, we were in Florida with my younger son and his friends. We were celebrating his nineteenth birthday. That's or, exciting. We're all celebrating, except um, you know. You know how nineteen-year-olds are. <laughs> right, <laughs> they went right. off well, and celebrated on the road. <laughs> of course, of course. But we we're at the beach. Yeah, well, in Canada, yeah, eighteen and nineteen are the legal drinking age. I think it's twenty-one oh. in, in the US. So, um, when, when I was uh, where I turned nineteen, it was it, the legal age was nineteen, and so um, you know, it's a big deal to have your first. Mind you, I'd already had my first drink well and truly before then, but it's a big deal to be able to legally right. drink. You know. Right, so, exactly. Ours is so you, 21, though, but I'm sure yeah. they still had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they did. Um, well, so you're currently residing in Texas, is that right? Yes, Houston, Texas. Okay, now is it kind of dry heat in Houston? Oh, boy, it's hot, toasty. Um, I'd say humid, hot, okay. very hot. Um, July and August, very hot and humid. Mm. September, we start seeing some good changes towards the fall. Right. I was just thinking you, you go from like Texas to Florida. So, you know, in, in my mind, when I think about Texas and maybe Houston's a little closer to the coast, but I'm thinking like dry sort of desert and like dry heat, like kind of, and then you go to Florida, which is like swampy humidity. That's just absolutely oppressive and ridiculous. Right. Exactly. But it's sort of the same here in Houston, just because Galveston's about an hour away. You were right, right off the coast. Yeah. Yeah. So but it's well, all good. <laughs> Summer's yeah. good. And and are you born and raised Texas? I was born actually in Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia, where my dad was getting his PhD over at UVA. Okay. And my mom oh, well. was working at the library at UVA. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I mean, it's probably not as uh, not as hot in in uh, Virginia as it is in Texas. So right, uh, right. A bit, bit of a shock I, when you make that adjustment. So. Um, yeah, so kind of growing up, was, was there anything in particular that you had a passion for, sports, um, athletics? No, I always did. I loved to run and I loved to swim. Those were my two two things that I loved to do. And I used to go running with my dad at the Dahorn Hills track. And I just remember us after, after his work, um, obviously I was a student, I was in elementary school, um, he, we would go to the track across the street at the Dahran Hills Elementary School. 
Oh, that's fantastic. So, <clears throat> and it's a great way to bond and a great way to set a good precedent from parent to child to uh, take up an active lifestyle and to encourage that. Yes, yes. They always did. Mom yeah. did. did- did you did you compete uh, in any particular adventure sports like in you know swimming uh, freestyle or something like that or oh yes um, I swam freestyle of course was my favorite or breaststroke really um, okay. and then yeah I, we would compete but you know the elementary leagues you know nothing like the Olympics, although I know that was a dream back then. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Of course. Of course. And so um, moving into your teen years, did you you spend the teen years in Virginia as well? Um, Actually, no. See, you're talking about my dad. He's an oil. And so we moved around a lot. So we lived in Virginia, California, Saudi Arabia, and Houston. And then they moved back to Saudi Arabia. Okay. And now they're currently back in Houston. (laughs) Okay. So you spent uh, some of your childhood years in Saudi Arabia? Um, Some of my childhood was in Saudi Arabia, yes. Best years. And then we moved to Houston. So how old were you when you had it? Because I don't I don't remember this from your story. This is cool. How how old were you when you went over there and how long were you there? Um we well, this time when we went, when I was there, um, we were there for seven years. Seven and years. Yes. It was a bulk of my childhood. Um, what, seven years? We moved it when I was around twelve years old. Okay. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you go from from Virginia to Saudi Arabia. Cal, no, Virginia, Cal. Sorry, I'm oh, sure, confusing Cal- everything. <laughs> Virginia, <laughs> California, then Saudi Arabia. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> Even then, to go from, had you been um, overseas to any foreign countries before that? Before that, no. But when I was born in Charlottesville, Virginia, we moved. I mean, my family, my parents parents, my grandparents, lived in Istanbul, Turkey, and the Princess Islands over there. So we did all that as as we grew. That's fantastic. My brother uh, currently is uh, head of a languages department at a school overlooking the Bosphorus. And uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So we've been cycling around the Princess Islands. Uh, Istanbul is one of my favorite cities to to go and visit because he's been there for 14 years now and so you're kidding yes that is back when um back it started in the 70s when i was born 73 (laughs) that that would have been a really cool time to check out like turkey's a fascinating country i really enjoyed visiting there um for anybody listening i i do strongly recommend checking out um Inflation over there is awful right now. But what it means actually is if you go there as a tourist, everything is like very inexpensive. I'm, you know, we were able to like rent a car for like a hundred bucks for like a week. And, and like we got like a, a really nice hotel in Southern Turkey for like, oh, this yeah, like is a week. so nice. Were you in Bodrum? Oh, yeah. We, we um, made a base in like Antalya and, and uh, sort of just traveled either direction a couple of uh, hours and went to visit beautiful. all the ruins and things. So, beautiful. Um, yeah. And, and uh, Cappadocia. Uh, incredible yes. region to visit. Um, and Pamukkale, while we're talking about Turkey, Pamukkale is just an incredible geological phenomenon that's, that's worth checking out. And of course, Istanbul was the capital city of three different empires. And so the amount of history yes. there is just incredible. 
Exactly. I mean, you said it perfectly. The history, when you land there, you just surrounded by history. It's immersed in you automatically. I mean, just looking, I remember growing up as a child and just seeing everything. Everything is just so historic and interesting. And right. I loved going to my grandmother's island house over in, it's called Borg, Borgazda, Borgazada, but it's Borgaz. And mm. they used to have horse and carriages over there. Yeah. Um, as uh, travel, uh, as transportation, yeah. but that's right. Now well, it's little cars. Yeah, though well, a couple of the islands still are bicycle only. Like you take a ferry over there, and yes, you can ride a ferry. bike, or you can you take the ferry over, you ride a bike, and you can do horse and carriage only. There's so a couple of Princess Islands you still can't do cars on. I I want to hear about those because I know Borgas they ended it a couple years ago. And it yeah, was really yeah. sad for me to hear that because that yeah. was our way of transportation. Yeah. So it's really, it's really cool to get to experience that, especially as a child and especially in your formative years to have your mind kind of expanded to see these things, which is, yes, which indeed. is incredible. Thank and so, you. yeah. So when you, when you went to Saudi Arabia, uh, so if you're 12 years old, would that make it 1985? Yeah. Good okay. one. Very good. <laughs> like math. I like Quick, that. Quickly try to do math in my head. So 1985, going over to Saudi Arabia, uh, really an interesting time historically because in 1979, Iran had had the, the like, cultural revolution. And so there was some degree of tension kind of between Saudi Arabia and Iran because they are they are sort of polar opposites in the world of Islam. And so, uh, yeah, yes. so you you go over there and... A lot of people think of Turkey as like the Middle East, but it's really not. Turkey is is much more European than it is. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I love that you're saying this. And also just to clarify, because, you know, Turkey, Turkey is a Muslim country, except we are Armenian from, from Turkey. Mm. So an Armenian is Christian. Yes. But, yeah. you know, I mean, that's um, just a side note. Yeah, well, an interesting anecdote there kind of is um, about 10 years ago, our prime minister got into a diplomatic spat with Turkey because of his recognition of the Armenian genocide that took place. That oh, was yes. We can go. My parents will have, my parents and brother will have a full-fledged, yes, the Armenian genocide took place 100 years yeah. ago. Yeah, it was one one of the most. Uh, mm -hmm. It's one of the least talked about, but one of the mm -hmm. most tra tragic atrocities that occurred uh, as a byproduct of of uh, World War One. Actually, very uh, true. I'm glad yeah. you. This is impressive that you know about it because usually, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a it's a People gorgeous. Are familiar. Like, yes. Right, because it's it's this tiny little country. You know, relatively mm -hmm. small population. Uh, relatively speaking, like Armenia, you could fit into, I don't know, probably one of the smaller U.S. states in terms of area. Yeah. You fit into Texas probably a dozen times over at least, maybe more like 30 or 40 times. But, right. But it's it's like um, so much history and civilization exists in that part of the world. And so I think it's very cool that you're, you have that as, as a part of your historic connections. Yeah, thank you. It's, yeah, it's just embedded in me. <laughs> yeah. I was born into it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And so when you went to Saudi Arabia, um, what was yes. it like? Because this is pre, because of course, this is pre-internet. This is pre-cell phones. This pre is pre-everything. Yeah, it was yeah. 70s, 80s. We came over to the United States in the 80, 85, mm. like you said. Yes. Yeah. 
And so what, what was it like, what was the difference for you in Saudi Arabia versus living in the U S <laughs> first of all, we lived on an Aramco compound, the American mm-hmm. Aramco compound. And it was small. Everyone knew everyone, everything, everybody. It was a great small town feel. I didn't know any different. Um, when we moved to the United States, everything was huge, huge. Right. So, um, but I, I have fond memories of Dahran, Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And how did you find like the heat over there? We were talking about the heat between Florida and Texas. But right, exactly. Okay, so as hot as it is in Florida and Texas, Saudi Arabia gets the award, <laughs> the gold award for heat. <laughs> it would right. get up to 120 during the summer. Um, yeah, humid, but I don't remember it being as humid as here, but I was also little. So who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm I mean, when older, I, when I was in Dubai, now. about 10 years ago, I was in Dubai and oh, uh, nice. air conditioned bus stops. It was like, thank you. Um, because I am Canadian. And so I'm born. <laughs> yeah, you're from Canada. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We have the frigid winters where it's like minus 40, which, you know, uh, regularly. And so to go there where 120 is like 50 plus 50 Celsius, it's just uh, absurd to think about existing in that kind of heat. It it was absurd, but I guess we were all used to it and it was normal to us. Yeah. And we, I mean, no complaints from us. Right. We, I mean, at least the kids, all the kids there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So um, so eventually you find yourself uh, back in the United States. How old were you? You were 19 when you returned to the U.S.? No, we, I was 12 when we returned to the U.S. Oh, 12 when we returned to the U.S. Okay. 12. And then yeah. um, junior high, high school over in Katy, Texas, and then yeah. um, Nacogdoches for college, which is Stephen F. Austin. And then back to Houston after after college. Okay, and, yeah. and what was it that you studied at uh, college? Um, I studied health science and nutrition. Oh, fantastic. So ca- kind of carrying so, your passion for running yes. a, a healthy lifestyle. Yes, healthy lifestyle inside and out. That's right, always right. been. <laughs> it's always and, and been. When, there. And when was it that you met your husband? I met my husband actually after college. Okay. After college. Um, and we both say that it was a great thing that we met after college. <laughs> you know how that right. goes. Anyway, yeah. so um yeah, we met after college and we married in two thousand and had our firstborn son in December of two thousand. Okay. Well, I'm curious how you how you actually how you actually met him. Oh, uh, you know, actually, it was a blind date. Believe it or not, one of my good <laughs> friends. Yeah, believe it or not, um, one of my good friends, Keely, she wanted to introduce me to this this guy who really knew how to dance super well, and he was super fun. And I was kind of iffy. Yeah, right, right. You know, you know how it is. Yeah, yeah. So we end up meeting one night, going to a basketball game, all of us. Okay. 
all four yeah. of us, her and her boyfriend at the time, who is her husband now, yeah. and my husband now, but boyfriend, or just a blind date back then. Yeah, at that point, though, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> which is, I mean, of course, we live in the age of, you know, dating apps and Tinder and things like that. And I love that this was kind of happening at a simpler time in, you know, Me too. Kind of in our way of living. Um, but I also love, so you had, to, you know, your friends came with you, so you weren't awkwardly alone. Right. Situation. Right. Yeah. And right. you had a basketball game. So there's, there's a reason to kind of be distracted. So you're not stuck trying to have awkward conversation, but you can it's, get excited and you can bond. Um, who was playing? The Rockets. I remember, obviously the Houston Rockets. I don't yeah. remember the opposing team, <laughs> but that was a long time ago, 24, 25 years ago. I don't know. Oh, um, I wonder if yeah, because we met in 1999. Okay, I was like, well, man, was Hakeem Olajuwon still playing for the Rockets back then? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, well, the you know more because, I mean, <laughs> we're, I just watch baseball now <laughs> fair, with fair. all the boys. <laughs> Uh, gr growing up, um, he he was one of my favorite um, basketball players to watch because he had like the it was called like the Dream Shuffle. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So he had, he, I'm sure he, all my boys know it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So he he was uh, he was a phenomenal uh, phenomenal player. So so you meet this guy. You go to this basketball game. Um, after the basketball game, it was just like, see you later. It was nice to meet you. Off we go. Or you're like, hey, let's just hang out and go get a drink. Or how'd that go? You know, actually, it was kind of both he called me after i don't really remember the that even i mean it was just a simple goodbye see you later talk soon mm -hmm. i guess we must have swapped phone numbers um, sure yeah because he called and he called and now see now i'm going back okay this is what happened this is what <laughs> happened so delete that first part um he said he needed an out for a wedding. He had to go to a wedding and he needed a date. And would <laughs> I go? And I, I said, of course. I mean, what fun is that? Little yeah. did I know that his entire family would be there. But <laughs> yes, that was our first official date. That was our first date too. But That's funny. The, other, the other first official <laughs> Yeah. The first official that wasn't like a blind date setup. This was yes. like you're 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 actually going as my date. The appearance yes. of a romantic partner at this point in time to a wedding where all the family is going to be there. But I had no idea. Right, right. <laughs> I didn't know all the family was going to be there. <laughs> That's fantastic. It was and great, the, great evening. <laughs> and and uh, was there like you know dear old aunt like grandmas and great aunties and things that are oh oh hello dear nice to meet you or... yes and it was all Cuban they're Latin so yeah. it was. A Cuban meeting, a Cuban Amazing. wedding party, a beautiful <laughs> they a party. Latin. Yes, they <laughs> definitely do. They, yes, they definitely do. And a Latin evening it was till breakfast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I've, I spent a little bit of time in Cuba and I, I lived in Mexico for a period of time as well. And there's nice. actually a surprising number of Cubans uh, that you bump into in Mexico as well. And so, yes. uh, boy, they sure do. I mean, yeah, they know how to have a good time. <laughs> they do. And yes, it is has been continued ever since. <laughs> yes, yes. So after the wedding, um, was there like, okay, I actually really like this guy? Yes, I, yes, of course. I was in love with him and it all happened very fast. Everything happened fast. And um, we ended up getting married. Then 
we had the baby Jacob who brought our family together. Um, the, yep. This is the story I love to tell is how he brought us all together mm-hmm. um, back in 2000. Yes, yeah. he did. Um, so Jacob brought us together. And then next, go ahead, ask me the next question because I don't want to jump ahead because everything <laughs> happened since we're really? about to get into the accident. Yeah, everything well, happened. So you, in the you're, next you're year young, and a half. Yeah. So you're 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 a young mom, uh, young young wife, um, newly married, exciting hopes and dreams ahead of you. You know, you found this amazing dancer, this wonderful man, and uh, <laughs> you know, and not only that, it seems like he likes running as well. Yes, yes. He would we would run together actually. Or at least mm. he pretended he liked to run and he would run with me, but then his running kind of yeah. <laughs> but well, is, you know, is that you know one of the ways it charmed you is like I'm I'm gonna pretend I like yes, I can there's the word we're looking for, <laughs> charm. Okay. <laughs> right, right. So um and then and then comes the morning that that like changed your life forever. And so yes. To tell us, see, you you head out for this run, and maybe you can kind of set the stage a little. But I know obviously a part of it kind of maybe disappears from your memory. But from what you recall, um, how, how did that morning start out? Okay, well, I can start the evening before. Um, we were hmm. at dinner in an Italian restaurant. My parents were in town um, from Saudi Arabia, hmm. and we went to an Italian restaurant in the neighborhood. Um, and I was, I was sharing with the family, my husband, Jacob, Jacob was maybe a year and a half old. I mean, not that he could understand that. And my parents, um, and I told them, gosh, I have my long last run tomorrow. I, you know, it's early. I have to be there at five or six. And all of a sudden Raul jumped in. I'll go with you. I'll bring Powerade Gatorade. I was like, perfect. Cool. I don't have to drive into Houston because we lived on the out outskirts of Houston at mm-hmm. the time. Um, and we, so fast forward to the next morning, which I don't remember. Um, we came out, we did our stretches. Raul was more about stretching than me. And then we mm-hmm. took off running or jogging at first. We're right. probably yeah. about half a mile, three fourths of a mile into it. And unbeknownst to us, a car was coming from behind us. As the Mm. sidewalk ended, we veered to the median of the street. Yep. Um, So we headed to the median of the street. I was closer. I was closer to the roadside. If you kind of. Yeah. You had been maybe on his uh, his right. right hand side. And mm-hmm. so he's close to the median. You're on you're on the roadside, and I think also it, it helps to mention that you're you're kind of piecing some of this together. You you have pieced this together from what uh, your husband and others shared with you about the incident, as opposed to you having actual memories of this incident. Is that correct? Correct. You are saying it right on. Um, yes, I have zero recollection of that morning, but that's what's interesting. The evening before, I do. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the car was coming. Uh, next thing you know, Raul hears a, a whoosh on the his uh, right side, his right mm. side, and I go flying. 
um, about, what was it, 50 feet? Um, so from that point, I landed on the hood of the car and rolled off. Um, the driver didn't know what he hit or what it was. I thought maybe it was a deer. We were on the outskirts of Houston, beginning the country land, but it's not really country quite yet, but it mm. turns to that. Anyway. So he, he hears so, a sound. The driver hits you, and yeah. you're thrown in the air. And well, before the driver can come to a complete stop, like you end up landing on the like the hood or the windshield of the vehicle. Yes. Yeah. Windshield huh, rolled off the hood. Oh, and then landed on the pavement. Mm-hmm. Landed on the pavement. Um. Okay. So I'm trying to. Th- what? Okay. You go ahead and ask the questions. Because- <laughs> yeah. So fr- from there, um, you know, I imagine Raul is probably first like, what the heck just happened? And maybe he's using more colorful language than that. Mm, yeah, um, colorful is the word. Um, <laughs> more uh, in shock, I think. Obviously. Okay. Yeah, and the driver, the driver gets out of the, like the driver does stop and yes, gets out of the, the car. Yes, indeed. Um, I'm sure Raul was yelling at him, saying colorful words, as you stated. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he did end up. The driver did call the nine one one and did mm-hmm. all the calls to what is it, life flight or ambulance? Right. Well. Like a, like an air ambulance helicopter area. Yes, we have or, life yeah. flight here. Okay, um, that's amazing. And number one, founded by Doctor Red Duke. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We have a, we have an equivalent in Alberta called um, Stars, which is the air ambulance, and it's an acronym for I forget what the acronym is for, but it's like a trauma um, evacuation helicopter. And, oh, uh, it's so. Oh, I love that you guys have that because. Oh, it's super important. Yes, indeed. It saves lives every day, every hour. And I was actually blessed enough to for, to go this past, um, I don't know, it was a few months ago, six months ago. I, I had a tour of the hospital over mm-hmm. Dr. Red Duke's findings and all that. Um, the it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Just so to wanted, see how they do it. And I met all the medics. Yeah. I, I wanted to highlight something here. When you and Raul went out running, did either of you have a cell phone with you? He probably did. He probably did. Talking, He's Mr. Cell phone. Right. And oh, we're, not yes. talking, we're not talking smartphones that we have nowadays. Like this, no, if it was it anything, was, it would have been like a chocolate bar or, or a flip phone, maybe. Flip. Which was really I, cool back then. I think he had a flip. But he will be clear on it. <laughs> I think he had a flip. Um, <laughs> and yes, the same phone number as now. So anyway, he, that's that answer. Go ahead. Yeah, for sure. And so um, so they, they call the, the air ambulance comes to evacuate yeah. you, um, you know, and if I remember right, uh, did your, you, so you weren't that far from your house. You said maybe three quarters no. of a mile. Yeah, and we were almost at the mile marker. Right, right. And so did, I think I, if I recall your dad, did your dad end up on the scene as well? Yes. Um, Raul called my dad. Mm. My dad answered, told my mom, take care of Jacob. 
I'm going, something happened, but it, everything's all good. Yeah. He left to the scene of the accident. Um, he could just see a pile of blood and he didn't know yeah. if I was dead or alive. And, right. um, and life flight showed up first An old ambulance showed up. It wasn't equipped correctly. Life flight right. came. Um, time is of essence. 100%. Especially in those circumstances, any trauma circumstance, um, whether it be a heart attack, stroke, anything like any trauma. So um, Life Flight came, landed. Only I could go with the medics. And right. Raul was not allowed to go. My dad was not allowed to go. Dad and Raul drove to the hospital and... Everyone met him there. Everyone right. met him at the hospital. Right. And so at this point in time, you're you're unconscious. And were you were you in a coma for like an extended period of time after this? It was, yes, seven days from the impact. And they also did body cooling. It was also a medically induced coma mm -hmm. to help cool the body. Okay. So, and you mentioned this, this body cooling sounds interesting. Maybe people aren't familiar with this as a even a concept necessarily. Um, when they put you in in a coma, but they're they're trying to uh, maybe slow down some of the inflammatory response. Yeah, stabilize the body. Everything going on, the mm. trauma, the cells, the organs, just right, everything, yeah. just bringing everything so, down. Yeah, so you're you're in this coma for 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 seven days. Um, you know, you've got a what, eighteen month old, you know, husband, and you know he's still he's maybe at this point maybe he's on some kind of compassionate leave. But um, then you then you wake up, and yeah. do you recall like what your first memory is? Kind of waking up, anything that sticks out in your mind? Yes, actually, this sticks out big time, and I've always talked about this. Um, and I love talking about it. Um, my first memory, clear memory, I don't know which hospital I was in, either the F Memorial Hermann or Tier. I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm thinking it was Memorial Hermann where I was first put. Um, it was Father Drew, our priest at the Catholic Church in Sugarland. And he mm -hmm. was he was in my in my face, and I remember with this calm, very calming, serene voice, Kristen, Kristen, you know, it was, it was really, it was really super cool. Well, I mean, it's super cool now. I didn't, I mean, obviously at the time, I thought, honestly, I was waking up from a nap and I was like, this is just so wonderful to have Father Drew here. <laughs> with me right. just waking me up from a nap <laughs> yeah well this is this is a pleasant surprise like, this is great but then obviously i mean that's all i remember mm -hmm. and that's always very clear to me and anyway and if you fast forward four years then i have my second son and yeah. his middle name is andrew after father drew okay Oh, that, that's beautiful. So, so you wake up, um, you have this memory. 
do 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 you have like all memory after that, like for the next couple of weeks, or is there still is it still like a kind of spotty memories over the next couple of weeks after you woke up from the coma? After I woke up from the coma, I think the first month, six weeks, or I'd maybe even that first year, everything was spotty. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. The and whole so first year. Yeah. And so you're trying to, of course, recover from this traumatic brain injury. Um, how far, like at what point in time did someone try to explain to you like what had happened? You know, actually I was at tear rehab. Um, I was in the rehabilitation hospital. You have to meet a certain standard to be transferred to tear memorial Herman. Um, and I had reached that level I was there and mom um, let me know, but I still didn't get it. She let me know that, you know, I had gotten hit by a car um, that Raul and I were running. It still didn't make sense to me, but I could tell with everybody's grim, sad looks, everyone was so sad. And I didn't understand. But Mm -hmm. remember, I was in a coma. I don't know anything that happened. I just came back. I came back, and I I don't understand why everyone's so sad. Right. And I know know that there's the brain injury. Did you suffer broken bones as well? Yes, I did. Um, I had um, humerus. It was mainly on my right side. Right humerus, my ribs the right ribs, the sacrum, the scapula. What else? There are about six, so I know I'm missing okay. one. But That's okay. I'm, I'm mm. wincing just thinking about this, all these bones being broken as it is. And so, you know, you're, you're from the time that you were um, first admitted to the hospital or first woke up from the coma to the time that you were transferred to this other, or this rehab hospital, what was the, what was the frame, um, the length of time? It was two to three weeks. Okay. So you had two to three weeks in the ho- the first hospital. In the first hospital that stabilized me. Right. And and during that two to three weeks, did uh, nobody was telling you like kind of what was going on, just that you were injured or something? or I, I don't remember any of it. Like I said, the only thing I remember was Father Drew right, at okay. the time. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I'm assuming this- he was at the... First hospital, the second, it's more clear because, and well, not clear, but clearer, um, and at the rehab hospital. Okay. And so with this idea of rehab, so you're, you're stable enough to be transferred. Um, you're, you're able, maybe you're able to, are you able to walk because your, your legs weren't broken? My legs were not broken, but um, my cerebellum was neatly sliced in half as it was reported to me and that's um that's responsible for balance and walking and all that good stuff um so i wasn't really walking i was cheered on to do steps take steps i think i took three steps one two three steps maybe um and in the original first hospital. 
And that was, I'm going to guess that was with support, like with a walker and people beside you kind of thing? Yes, I had about, yeah, a lot of nurses, a lot. I mean, I'd say four to six and then family, meaning my husband, his parents and my parents cheering me on. Wow. Um, That's remarkable. I mean, again, I kind of went hearing Sarah Brown um, split in half, like you're sliced in half, like, oh, boy. That's that's pretty yes. rough. Now, is that something that's surgically repaired, or is it something that they just, you know, where they put the skull plates kind of back into place and mm, the brain no, heals that, itself? Yeah, I think it just heals itself. I did not have brain surgery. Um, it was, it healed itself, but still to this day, you know, I, I feel it when I'm tired hungry just and stressed you can Mm -hmm. i just know my balance is off right interesting so you get you get actually kind of like a spidey sense that like hey i'm tired yeah right yeah spidey sense (laughs) yeah a tingling in the back of your head you know yeah Uh, yeah okay my sister jokes about my sixth sense (laughs) right right So as you, as you're kind of going through this rehab process, and you mentioned kind of like the first year is spotty. What is what are what are the things that you're having to relearn? Mm-hmm. Everything. Relearn to walk. Relearn to talk. Relearn to mm-hmm. eat. It was everything. The first, right. especially the first six months. Especially the first six months. Right. And so thinking about that, so relearning to talk, like, did you lose all speech capacity or just certain elements of your speech? Not all. It was certain elements. It was maybe not making a complete sentence, pronouncing Um, words correctly. Yeah. Everything was just slurred, just completely slurred. Right. Okay. And and relearning to eat and maybe that's learning to swallow again as well or... Um, yes, that is vague on my, I cannot recall the whole eating thing, but I did have to learn to eat. I mean, Mm -hmm. just, yeah, that's a vague memory. I'll have to go back and ask all those questions. (laughs) Well, so was it, I guess what I'm thinking about was, um, going through like the first kind of, um, maybe six months back at home actually how long was it from the time of the accident to the time that you were able to return home it was a short miraculous two months yeah it all happened very quickly i'm thankfully to our god and my youth i'm Mm -hmm. you know all that they god number one gets the credit (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely so you return home, but now you have this long road of, of recovery and yes. maybe at a certain point, like the initial, maybe outpouring of support that might be there, like people kind of just carry, they, they got to carry on their lives. Yes. And was, was there a point, some points in time where you just felt yourself getting, you know, disappointed, frustrated or, or angry at what happened to you? Or how did you cope with having to sort of relearn these abilities that you used to have? You know, it was... <laughs> It is what it is. So it was what it was. And since I feel like since I was at such a young age, I, all I knew is I had to look forward. I had to get better. That's all I knew. To me, complaining wasn't part of the equation. If anything, it would just 
it was a waste of time. I don't, I don't ever remember complaining or being upset. I just knew I had to get better. That's all I recall um, to get better and to do all my therapy sessions, to go to therapy, every kind of therapy and right. just get better. That's all We're, I knew. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you, you're mom to it, to a young son here um, yeah. as well. And I mean, what, what a kind of a, the, a way to start a marriage. I mean, obviously you had been in marriage for a couple of years here, but are really very young in marriage at this point in time. Very, very young in marriage. Right. Yes. How, was, how, how did your husband cope that you can recall? Oh, geez. I mean, I guess we coped with one another. I mean, we helped one another. Um, we we're both there for each other. And I'm sure my family and his family were there more so for him. I mean, I was in the midst of getting better, but I did know he was my husband and I knew Jacob was Jacob. And I just knew that to make that the best mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. just give it my all. And I, I think we, it, it can be relatively easy for us to overlook the spouse or the partner in a situation like this, because of course all of the focus or most of the focus is on you and rightfully so you, you were the injured party, severely injured a lot to recover from, but there, there is this other party who's also been traumatized by what he saw. I mean, he saw his Correct. young wife, Lying on the pavement in a pool of blood, unconscious, not sure. Still she's to this day, still to this day, I cannot imagine the fear that ran through his body. Mm -hmm. Those, mm -hmm. especially that first week of the unknown, <laughs> because they didn't know if I was going to survive. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really quite something to think about. And um, but at, at what point in your rehab as, did you sort of feel like you're starting to get back to yourself? And I know it's not you know you, you're not you're not the same person after something like this. But mm -hmm. how far along was it when you started to feel like I kind of feel like my myself again? I want to say that summer, that summer, um, that next summer, so 2001 summer. Mm -hmm. Um, I started feeling like myself. So I don't know that again, six, seven, eight months, nine months post mm -hmm. post. Yeah. Um, I even went, you know, I had been training. My husband was my biggest advocate and he would take me to the track. Um, mm -hmm. and it started with one step, then two, then three, Sometimes backwards, like I would go backwards and not be able to do anything, but he would take me to the track almost daily because that's what I love to do was run. Mm -hmm. And he took me back to what I love to do. And then slowly that progressed and I ended up going to the San Francisco half marathon. However, I walked it. I walked it. I ran it, but I would say a lot of walking took place. <laughs> right, right. But this was uh, how how long after your accident? That you was that was um, July, end of July, so eight months. But that was 
done. Although there was a lot wrong, like meaning, gosh, sleeping, um, the noise factor, not really flying. Um, just there were a lot of variables that, oh, the eyesight, the eyesight, mm -hmm. my eyesight and my balance were big ones. I saw double for one year from the impact of it, the impact of the accident. I saw, um, I saw double for one year and that was surgically fixed a mm -hmm. year post. Okay. Yeah. And so eventually you got to the place where, where you were able to get pregnant again and you had your, your second child. Um, and that was about how long after the accident was your second child born? Four years. Four years. Okay. Um, yes. About four years. I was told I wasn't to get pregnant. There was a lot of variables on that. Don't because get the, pregnant. The stress on the body. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, my body, my body had enough stress. And for some reason, I wouldn't take no as an answer. So I <laughs> searched the, for the doctor that would tell me yes. I went right. to a high-risk pregnancy doctor here in Houston, and he said, I don't see any reason why you should not get pregnant. Right. Okay. And I took his word, and yeah. it moved forward Amazing. from that point. <laughs> yeah, that, that's wonderful. You know, and so we're, we're here talking, you know, 20, 20 plus years after the accident. Yes. And so, I mean, I think it's, it's quite remarkable what you are able to recall 20 years later from an accident that involves like a serious brain injury that in itself is, is already remarkable but i don't understand any of it and all of it goes to god up above because when i hear about this story that you and i are talking about immediately i'm like oh goodness the poor mom the poor lady Mm -hmm. what the heck but then i realized and you know i cry for that lady but then yeah. i realized that lady is me yeah and hmm. anyway so all of it is just remarkable unbelievable a miracle and it was god's will right and so looking back would you ever take this incident out of your past if you could <laughs> no no. I wouldn't. Mm -mm, and, no. And why not? Why not? I've just learned so much in these 20 years about life and really more so that first year, believe it or not, um, just about life. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would never take it back because it's, it's taught me so much. Yeah. And, and I can, I've always wanted to tell my story. Um, so, and finally I wrote the book, but I really yeah. thought it was coming out as a movie or something like that, just a documentary <laughs> or something just for other people. I, I could help so many people because I really feel like with that positive mindset mm -hmm. and with everything lined up correctly, it's possible. The impossible is possible. Well, this is the beauty of stories and, and particularly why this podcast focuses on telling very real stories of overcoming adversity, because 
you know, we would hear the story of someone who's got a serious brain injury and naturally uh, we want to go towards the worst possible outcome unless we hear something that opens our mind to the possibility that a different outcome is possible. So here where you're able to have another child, you're able to have a marriage, you know, that continues to function. I mean, your, your husband sounds like a remarkable man. I'd, I'd sure yeah. like to shake his hand and just say, thank you. You, you would know, love him. <laughs> Absolutely. Just incredible that, you know, because I know um, accidents like this can can also tear people apart, just the stress of trying to deal with that. And so yes, that indeed. his quality of character. So shout out to Raul. Uh, yeah. You're a good man. <laughs> he's a good, he's a great man, right? He truly absolutely. is. You'll love meeting yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And so you titled your book Sunrise and, and what, what prompted you to give it the title Sunrise? That there were many meanings, um, metaphorically speaking, it there were many. Um, it happened at sunrise. Sunrise is a the meaning of a new beginning, a new day, mm-hmm. um, inspiration. But yeah. but the reason, I mean, having there were so many meanings to sunrise. But yeah. especially because it happened at sunrise. But to me, how coincidental is it that sunrise is has all those meanings? Mm. It's such a huge force in life, the sun. I mean yeah. um, so it represents like a very healthy new beginning and Yes. Uh, we, f- we feel inspired by that. And you also have a companion journal to the book Sunrise. Yes, yes, and I it, do. Is that, in, is that intended to help those who are either survivors of or supporters of someone who's gone through brain injury? Or how does the Sunrise journal play into this? It actually is the, it holds hands or a sister to the book. Um, mm-hmm. Sunrise journal is just a basic, um, inspirational journal where you can put your thoughts down. It's for the patient if they're able to write, also for the caretaker um, to write for them or just log. And it has all the important things on it. And it has a inspirational quote for the day. And then it states the affirmations that you would like to proceed with, your intentions. It has, if you want to, I mean, what kind of therapy you should get. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, yes, physical and occupational speech, but there's also so many others like equine um, music therapy. And then there are a lot of um, check boxes for what kind of vitamins help or what kind of uh, nutrients help with the brain neurologically speaking so it's just everything in a short form where the patient or the caregiver could could um benefit from yeah absolutely that sounds that sounds like a fantastic resource and so if we if we kind of look back over this (laughs) there it is it's coming across the screen so for those that are listening we're, we're getting to see the cover of the book um, and I'll make sure, of course, to include links to the book where uh, and the Sunrise Journal as well in the in the show notes of this. Uh, the one other thing I wanted to ask, you know, we look back with the benefit of hindsight on experiences, and 
what did you, 2020. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking, what did you learn from going through this experience? And I'm thinking more about maybe something that you wish could have happened had you known, and that has allowed you to become an, maybe an advocate or a voice for other people saying, you know, there was this miraculous recovery, but um, here's some things that I, I would have loved to known, and, and I want to share that with you so that you, you know, you might know what to look for or do. Yeah, um, definitely. There are things that I wish, I mean, every brain, to begin with, every brain injury is different. Yes, um, yes. Different parts of the brain are affected. Gosh, have a really good doctor, neurologist, great physical therapist, occupational therapist, just have a team behind you that is guiding you through mm. all these little things. I mean, I'm talking little things such as eyesight, such as my thirst was mm -hmm. affected. Um, I couldn't get enough to drink. My satiety for thirst right. would you, not you take felt, place. But You felt like and, immensely thirsty, which is kind yeah. of, it's funny, it's a very random thing to think about. Like, Isn't it? Isn't How difficult it? would that be to basically be constantly thirsty? It's like you've it's had horrible. enough water to drink. Right? It was horrible, but I'm glad <laughs> it was fixed. But, How, do you, how yeah. do you fix something like that? Um, actually, there's a nose spray you take twice a day. I forgot okay. the name of it, um, but I'm sure they've come. This is, uh, what, 18, 20 years ago. Um, right. yeah. But I'm sure they've come up with amazing things these days with mm -hmm. all the medical information they have out there with our incredible research doctors. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and gosh, back to hindsight 2020, I'm trying to think of more things that would help any survivor or their caretaker. Um, email yeah. me. That's all I can say. Cause I can't, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. That's okay. I think you'd be, you'd be a fantastic resource and, uh, you know, I think it'd be interesting to ask Raul this question, you know, from the perspective of the supporter, right. be, you know, be, so right. if somebody does email you, which I strongly recommend they do, um, Raul could offer some input as well in terms of here's yes. how to be an amazing support. Because here you are, you know, uh, what, 25 years after you got married? Um, well, it's, we just had our 23rd. 23rd. Okay. Yes. Fantastic. You know, so to be able to stay together and do you feel like your marriage is stronger as a result yes. of having gone through that? Yeah. Uh, bold placed. Yes. Capitalized. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Most <So>, definitely. <laughs> and I think that's what's so important to highlight because we, we, we think that going through something like that, like it, it is devastating, but it has the potential to really work something incredible into a relationship. You you bond in ways that are just just unspeakable. Really, they're, they're really worse than spoken, unspoken bond. Yeah, incredible. We do. So, just as we close out the the interview, I always like to ask my guests, uh, someone who's listened to your story today, and what cool story it is. You know, from Turkey and Saudi Arabia to, you know, back back in Texas. Like, you've got a great story. If someone was to take one thing away from hearing this conversation today, what, what would you like them to take away? Okay. Um, I would say live life. Don't let life live you. 
Awesome. I love that. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for being on today. It's truly been a pleasure thank and you, you have a remarkable story. And I wish thank you all you the best. Thank you for having forward. me, Coach John. Really appreciate sharing. Thank you so much for tuning into Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after, the powerful experiences that shape who we become, and I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you because if you're still here, your story's not done yet, so keep moving forward.